This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. And I heard a minister at a conference teaching one years ago about <clears throat> if you want to know somebody's heart, listen to him pray. If you want to know your pastor's heart, listen to him pray. And when I close my eyes to pray like I just did, <clears throat> excuse me, it surprised me what comes out sometimes. But I, I'm ready. I'm ready to be used by God. Amen. In a significant way. How about you? And the things that things that things that He teaches us, we need to do. And you know, I'm thinking we're going to be talking tonight about the law of unity. And I'm not here to sell books, but in that in that book that uh, actually my wife. Uh, did the writing from notes I had, stuff like that. And she's always pushed me out of the boat to walk on water. But she's the one that, that did that. A lot of, lot, most of it's from things that I had. But I think about what God told me back in the year 2000. Three things that precede a major move of God. And it was prayer, leadership, and unity. And I taught the men on unity yesterday at the, at the men's uh, breakfast we had. And a lot of them really got blessed by what I taught as I... As I sought the Lord about what about tonight, I'm going to teach unity. Of course, it's going to come out different because I was teaching husbands about being the leaders of their families, about being prayer people, then being in unity for the family. But for us as a church, when I talk about unity tonight from the things we're going to look at, uh, of course we want unity in the church. But if you don't have unity in your home, it's going to be hard to have it in the church. Amen. And you need, you need to have unity with fellow Christians on your job. Christians need to get along. And we're going to be talking about, uh, we'll go ahead and open up to Amos 3, 3. That's in the Old Testament. But go ahead and start off there. And that, that's the first verse of my book too, because God gave that to me for lots of times back then. But we're going to look at what unity is. And then, as we were worshiping the Lord, the Lord, uh, really spoke something to my heart. About what unity isn't. And I, I, since I find Amos myself here. Uh, here's what unity isn't. Does anybody here, maybe some of the younger generation, by younger generation, I mean people 30 or 40 years old, you know, you, uh, I know you think you know it all because I did too till I was about 50 that I found I didn't know much. But anyway, uh, people, people probably, 50 years old or older, probably remember the word called detente. How many remember the Russian word detente? Well, that's what came in through the days of Gorbachev and people, people like that. You know, we were always fighting with Russia all the time, the Soviet Union, and then they come to a place through Reagan's days, they called detente. And detente in Russian meant, meant peaceful coexistence. You don't shoot us, and we won't shoot you. That was detente. Say, we can get along. And Russia said, you know, their doctors, atheism, all they were, said, we don't like anything about America. We don't agree with a thing you believe. But we can take you out and you can take us out. So we're going to have detente. You just don't shoot us. We won't shoot you. That's not what unity is. You can't live in your church and have people in your church that you say, well, that's their side and that's my side. I sit over here, we're peaceful, we're going to get along because we like this church. That's peaceful coexistence. God doesn't want that. In your family, you know, you should not have detente in your home. You should not have it in your home 
that you just stay at your place, I'll stay at my place, and you don't hit me, and I won't hit you. We'll just, we'll just agree we're going to get along, and that's all there is to it. That's not unity. We're never going to accomplish the purposes of God if we don't learn what unity is and how to cooperate with unity. And I'm talking about Christians on the job, even. You know, even if you're a Baptist Christian, and there's a Holy Ghost Pentecostal Christian next to you, then you need to be at unity that the, most of the people on this job are going to hell. And we can't be fighting about tongues or no tongues because we need to let these people know Jesus is real. Amen. And so, anyway, that's not even notes because the Lord just gave it to me while I was standing there that uh, unity is not detente. And so, if you lived in a world of detente, peaceful coexistence, I'm not talking about with the sinners, I'm talking about with the Christians. Because people that are not born again do not have the same goals you have. People that are not born again don't care about sharing Jesus with everybody because they need Jesus themselves. And so you can peacefully coexist with them and be able to love them and share the gospel with them. But the fellow Christians in your life, whatever realm it is, family, church, job, extended family, whoever it is, you need to learn how to cooperate with the law of unity. We're going to look at that. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, Melinda, I missed him again. He always cheers on that. Uh, Austin, if you cheer for me on my verse, I'll cheer for you if I come to your Bible study. Amos 3, 3. Thank you, Austin. That was pretty good. Josh, that's as excited as you get, isn't it? Well, you, that's okay. Keep bringing the noise in on the keyboard and Katie Brady and keep on singing and all of our other good people up there. We'll keep it going. But let's stay excited about Jesus and his word. Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Can two walk together? Yes, sir, that's good. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Well, this, this agreement, walking in agreement, is the law of unity. That's the definition. You gotta be in harmony. You gotta be in harmony if you're gonna to walk together. And walk together means if you're gonna be able to do things together and have things in common, if you're gonna hang out together and accomplish things, you gotta be people that are in agreement. And the book of Acts, I just looked at it again by standing right there. I looked at the first four chapters of the book of Acts, and every chapter it keeps on saying there were of one accord praying. They're one accord fellowshipping. They're one accord with the disciples' doctrine. One accord, one accord. And then the center column says for the, for the Greek definition of that accord, it says one purpose and one mind. And to me, when I see that, what that says to me, that for us as Christians to be in God's kind of unity, in unity, in harmony, we gotta have one purpose, that's gotta be Jesus is the center of everything in our life. And we recognize all these petty fights in life that Christians have. They have nothing to do with unity. Who cares what color the chairs are? Who cares about the chairs? Well, I know that one time back in Indiana, I had a lady that got something in her crawl. Man, she didn't like the church chairs. And uh, we're not the kind of church that has committees that vote about what they're going to do about everything. We walk in love. We do what God wants us to do, and we, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, man, she started getting people together against me because she didn't like the church chairs. 
to start off with, the chairs we had in that church there, we bought that place, they were there when I came there. And that woman got healed of lots of things, people getting healed, people getting blessed, and she wanted to fight about chairs. You know, I think I think about Christians, how dumb they get. And here she is, she's got family members that are not Christians, and she's come to a church that has the anointing to get people healed, the presence of God to get people saved, and she wants to fight the pastor about the chairs because she wanted new chairs. That's not unity. And so we as Christians, when we come into unity with the body of Christ, that means we come to unity that if I'm talking again, I was talking about the Baptist and the Pentecostal thing. Well, Baptists are saved as a Pentecostal. Pentecostals are saved as a Baptist. Uh, the Bible says of all places, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and love John the Baptist. <laughs> Amen. I know there's a Baptist deacon that I'm friends with and we teach each other sometimes. And you know, he'll say, he'll say things like that. And I'll say, well, John may have been a Baptist, but Paul spoke in tongues. Yeah, that's kind of a joke, but it's real. And so, you know, the Baptist, the Catholics, Pentecostals, whatever the name is above the door, if Jesus is the center of that church, and he's the center of the life of the people in that church, then we got to say, man, I can work with these guys in our community to let people know that Jesus is real. And anything else tries to come in that's not in line with that, then we can't walk together if that's not what your goal is. We can get along together. We can do things together. And so what we're talking about, walking together, I see that as more than just people that know each other. I mean the people you hang out with. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, the thing is, we as Christians, we don't separate ourselves from people. That's not the way it is. But at the same time, the ones you choose to spend the majority of your off time with needs to be people that you're in harmony with. Because then when you get, the more, the more, the more that you get around people like that, then your anointings come together. And the more anointing you have, then you get around other people, whether, whether, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, you've got more of the presence of God to help bring maybe carnal Christians up to a higher level, because you've got more of the presence of Jesus with you. And then people that aren't saved, Especially if they're, if they're mean people. You got more anointing to withstand the attacks that come your way. If you've got that anointing on. You see what I'm saying? Unity does so much. And I think about the book of Acts, that one of the major keys of the book of Acts, as you study the book of Acts, those people didn't fight each other. They prayed together. They ate together. They did things together. They got persecuted together. They died together. But they all had one goal. They knew that eternity was real. And, you know, I, I, just want, I just want to say that again. If you're a Christian, and you know the eternity really is real, if you know that people that you know in your family, people you know on your job, people you know that if, God forbid, something would happen to them where they would die today, and they're not right with Jesus, and yet you don't have the anointed God because you're a fighter and not a lover, then that blood's on your hands. You know, the presence of Jesus in us is supposed to convict people. Can two walk together except they be agreed? 
And so we got to do everything we can to guard our Christian lifestyle, especially with fellow believers. And so uh, unity is one of the big things that God's going to use in the end times for the body of Christ to move together as one. And so uh, what's unity mean? It means one heart, one purpose, in agreement for the goals in life that you have. And, you know, I think about what Pastor Dave teaches about Deuteronomy 8.18. It says, God wants us to prosper to establish his covenant. It's a shame for all the trouble there is in America right now that Christians aren't working together more and quit shooting at each other. But I'm not talking about gun shooting. I'm talking about verbal attacks on fellow Christians. That Christians uh, just not get along and let this happen to our country. That's not right. And we can change that if we learn to cooperate with the law of unity. And so, and so they knew Jesus was real. Talk about the Christians' book of Acts. They knew eternity was real. So they determined, they determined to get along so they get as many people saved as they could before they went to eternity. And you know, that's always been my lifestyle since I've been a Christian. And you know, Pastor Dave and Katie pastor the church now. We're overseers of it. But they pastor the church. And I'm so grateful. And Josh, you know, he doesn't get to talk a lot up there because he leads the worship. But my children have heard this all their lives that there's nothing more important in this life than to get people saved. And as you put the kingdom of God first, the money shows up. The favor shows up. The blessings show up. That's why I said in Matthew 6, 33, <clears throat> put first the kingdom of God, his way of doing things, and all these things be added unto you. And if Christians get a hold of that and walk in unity with other Christians and do our best to let people know how real Jesus is, you're going to see a move of God across this country in your family because your family's in this country. In your family, on your jobs, because your job's in this country. And I'll tell you what, when God's able to show up in a big way because Christians learn to cooperate with Him, it changes everything. I want you to look at Psalms 133. Like that, Jess, that's a good one. I didn't even know that was you doing that all these years. A few weeks ago, somebody said, Jesse's the whistler. I said, oh, that was him? I don't even see Alex. Where's Alex at? Alex, you're swanking. <laughs> you're the whistler? I thought they told me Jesse was the Jesse, do you ever whistle? I don't know. I... <laughs> Well, Alex, that's a good whistle. That sounds like it might have had a hair, a touch of anointing on it. <laughs> okay, Psalms 133. Psalms 133 is a really, really, really good uh, explanation of what unity does and why we need to all cost to keep strife out of our lives to keep unity in. And, you know, I, I, I like something, you know, we quote Brother Hagin a lot, but boy, Brother Hagin taught me so much, I can't help but quote him. And so, you know, this psalm here is a psalm of David, but the Bible says, who inspired these writers to put these words down here? Who inspired them? God did. They're spirit-inspired. And so Brother Hagin used to say, as he read verses, the Holy Spirit through David said. And so David wrote this, but the Holy Spirit put it in him to write it, so you can say, God said this. The Holy Spirit says this. Amen. It's God's word written by man, 
But it's God's word. You know, I just think about, uh, who was it at the meeting yesterday? What, oh, little James said, why, why do they call it God's word? That's the little boy asked that at the men's meeting yesterday. Why do they call it God's word? And the real simple answer was this. God wrote a letter, but people wrote it for him. And so God told him what to say, so this is God's words written by people. And you know, I, I, I've thought about it so many times before the communication we have now, back in, back in the war days of World War II and other wars where we had all this quick communication, a, a, a soldier or a military person hadn't hurt their loved ones for months. They'd get a letter in the mail finally out there wherever they were, and they could see their wife's face or their mother's face. Whoever was wrote the letter, as they read the words, they might have been reading something on a paper. That's not what they saw. They saw the face of the person that wrote it. They heard the heart of the person that wrote it. And when that person said something them, that letter there, that was, that was so real to them that no words could explain it. And so if we see the heart of God in God's word and recognize we're not just reading the newspaper, we're not reading some goofy email or Facebook post, we're reading Almighty God talking to us what he thinks about things. This is a letter from home. Amen. And so God says to us, the family of God, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren fight each other. How good and how pleasant it is when they just decide they're going to get along even if they don't agree. No. When you're in unity, doesn't mean you agree about every little thing. It says the main thing is you got the same heart. You got the same mindset. You got the same purpose. Might not like the chairs. You might not like something about something. But what's that got to do with eternal salvation and get your family in the family of God? Amen. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren. I'll say again, brethren. We can get along with unsaved people. That's not hard. But unsaved people do not understand why you go to church all the time. They're not in agreement with that. They don't understand why you would give 10% of your money to a church because they think you're giving it to a church. They don't realize that in your heart and in your thinking, you know, you're giving it to Jesus. And Jesus is going to use it so your church would be a better place for people to come to. They don't realize that. So they're not in unity with you. That doesn't mean you fight them. You get along with them. You don't argue with them but about things they don't understand because Bible things, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, are revealed to the Spirit. And then Jesus said in John chapter 3, except a man's born again, he can't understand spiritual things. And so we don't argue with people about things they can't understand because their heads try to figure them out. But the First Corinthians 2 says, but it's revealed to the man's spirit. And so the first thing they need is born again. They need Jesus. And so they want to fight you about you going to church all the time tithing. There's nothing to fight about because they don't know what it's all about. You don't need to tell them they need to start tithing. Then why would you want to give all your money away and die without Jesus and go to hell and broke too? Do a better preacher than you are shouting. The number one goal, number one goal is born again. And so we can get along with people who don't know what we know. We love them all the time. We love them all the time. 
We're a good witness to them. We have good character, etc., etc. But the main thing is, the anointing we're going to see in this psalm right here comes through unity among the brethren. And so it says, uh, when brethren draw together in unity, it said it's like the precious ointment upon the head. Well, that was the anointing oil they put on the priest. That ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. And so it says, when brethren dwell together in unity, and you know, because we're not people that lived in the Middle East where they did these things, we don't know what it was like. They didn't have this spiritual order like we're talking about here. This is a spiritual thing we're talking about here. It manifests in our lives. But they had a big flask, big bucket, big container of oil, and when a priest was being anointed for the priesthood, they didn't just get the little thing that Pastor Dave showed you this morning, get a little drop of oil and say, you're anointed. They dumped the bucket on their head. It said it said it ran down his clothes. It ran, ran, I heard running. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for the sound effects. Uh, you want to run again? Whoa. <laughs> Holy, holy, holy. <laughs> oh, Robert's fixed up. Okay, I thought the kids were running. Okay, it, anyway, we're giving you a really good spiritual picture of unity. And so, when they anointed these guys, they poured this oil on rep, holy oil representing God's Holy Spirit on them. And it says, it was so much... It saturated their clothes. It ran down to their feet. They were soaked in holy oil. And God says right here that when brethren live together in unity, said that's what it's like, we're soaked in the holy anointing of God in our lives. Amen. Soaked in the anointing. We need to have God's anointing in us. need to have it on us. They'd have it around us. They'd working through us. We'd be so saturated with God's anointing that people get around us, they just automatically know we're holy men and women of God. They need to know that. I think about when I was a truck driver. This happened more than once. You know, I don't know what to say except when you really walk with Jesus and His presence really showing up on you, I'd be around people. They'd be cussing, saying the words, <clears throat> and all of a sudden... They jerk, they go, oh, excuse me. Then they go, well, shucky derns. Oh, darn it. Oh, gosh darn. And start saying things like that. Quit cussing in front of me. Just because that presence was strong enough, they got convicted and knew, this is a holy man of God. I don't want to talk that way in front of him. And then I'd get away, come walk to the room later, they're back to talk the same way they always did for everybody else because they didn't have that anointing gushing out of them. You understand what I'm saying? See, I'm not lifting up me. I'm lifting up Jesus. And you walk close to Jesus, and you get along with your fellow believers, that God's presence is going to be stronger in your life. Amen. Well, I, I think about, you know, uh, since on this road just a second, uh, when, when I got saved, one of my best friends, the older truck driver I worked with, found out I got saved. I used to be one of his Drinking buddies, running around buddies. Matter of fact, lived with him for a while, but I was going through a hard time. I got saved, been born again for about a month, and he cornered me on the dock there. 
got my face. He cussed me out. He's a really good friend of mine. Cussed me out and said, I hear you got religion. He said, you stay the blank and blank away from me. I don't want to hear anything about it. Just don't talk to me anymore. I mean, he was really, the devil got to hold him like that. Then we fast forward about two years. His live-in girlfriend had this really bad disease. And he came up to me in the break room. And he hadn't talked to me for two years, but he watched me. Come up to me in the break room. And he said, Dolores has such and such. He said, I know God uses you. This is the same guy told me don't talk about it. Said, would you pray for her? And I said, well, yeah. Well, we worked for a company, but he had another business on the side. He had several semis and drivers and stuff. So I went down to his place of business. And his girlfriend, these people like in their 50s. His girlfriend worked in the office there. And he called her out. And so she came out. And we were standing there. We was in this great big shop, probably big as this room, because it had semi-tractors in there with working on the stuff like that. She came out there. And she came out. He said, he said, he's going to pray for you. And so she said, okay. And you know, they're kind of looking at me. And I said, well, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So I'm going to lay hands on you. I don't think I got to touch her. I got about this close. And started falling out in the spirit. And so there's a mechanic standing there. That's all going over. And the mechanics come out and there's my catchers. All these sinners. She started going down. Because of the presence of Jesus, the anointing coming through me was that strong that she started falling out like that. And so then she was like that. And they just, one of them, both arms, they drug her backwards like that to the office and plopped her in her chair there at the desk. And then, and then, about a week later in the break room, the guy that cussed me out started telling all the sinners, Bernie healed Dolores. Well, Bernie didn't heal Dolores. Jesus did, but that's okay he said that because they knew I belonged to Jesus. But the whole thing was, and then by, by the way, I flew back to Indiana and went to his funeral about three or four years ago. He, he ended up being a trustee in the Assembly of God Church. He got born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, etc., etc. But that would have never happened if I didn't purpose to be a Christian of love and not to fight and have strife all the time, but to carry the presence of Jesus with me. I, you know, I just think about that now. If you can picture that. You're in a diesel shop. We're not having a worship service. We're not, everybody in there said, holy, 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 oh Jesus, we love you. It wasn't that at all. There's a bunch of sinners in there. But greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I don't grieve him. I didn't just get through fighting a bunch of people about doctrine or fighting a bunch of people about whatever, whatever, whatever. I come out of the presence of God, read my Bible before I go to work like you all do, pray before I come to work, say to Jesus, go on to work, and I get to work like that, and I'm all prayed up, and I'm anointed up, and I'm ready to go. But the whole thing is, he said that when brethren dwell together, that produces anointing. Amen. Unity. Unity brings the anointing. Now look at this. It says it's saturation. It says it says the dew of Hermon. And as the dew that descend upon the mountains of Zion, for there, where's there? There is that place of unity. But he said it's like this place called Hermon and Zion that have the dew there. And I've said this before, a lot of you have heard me say this, but maybe some of you haven't. 
So I want to tell you what to do. See, God always gives us natural examples to understand spiritual truths. This natural example is this. How many here have ever lived someplace beside the desert where they've got real grass and they got dew in the morning time? You know what dew is. Back in Indiana, we had a lot of dew. If I walked out in the, day, in the morning time, if I got up and walked outside for some reason on the grass, my socks on, I had to go change socks because they got soaked with water. Didn't rain or anything, just do water automatically there, soaks everything all the time. Well, God said, this is just like this place in the Bible called, called Hermon and called, and called Zion said, there's dew there every day, everything's soaked. He said, for God commanded the blessing there. Where's there? There is when Christians are in unity. He said, God commanded. Commanded to me is a pretty strong word. Jesus is the commander-in-chief of the Christian army. And God commanded, Jesus commanded, that there be saturation of anointing with believers who live together in unity. That could be in the church. That could be in your home. And if you don't have anybody in unity in your home with you yet, stay in unity with the believers, you'll bring that anointing into your home, and it'll get on them. They'll fall in. They won't want to change their socks every day walking through your anointing. <laughs> they want to get their own. Amen? On your job. I know that when I was a Christian truck driver, God always showed me believers I could hook up with. They might have been Baptist, and they might have been Catholic, but I always found out who believers were, and I had Catholic friends that were born again Christians we could pray together. I had Baptist friends. I had Methodist friends. I had Nazarene friends, a lot of denominations back where I came from. I always had people, we could be together in harmony. Did we all speak in tongues? No. We didn't all speak in tongues. Did we all go to the same church, do the same kind of worship? No. Had one guy went to a church, they didn't believe in music, his, his denomination. We could pray together, though, talk the Word of God together, because in my heart, as a Christian, I knew Hadn't been taught all the things I know now, but I knew I had to have unity with the body of Christ. I knew that. I knew that. And somebody, <clears throat> sometimes a religious person crossed my path. Well, what's your church think about this? I take it all around to Jesus. I say, my church believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for our sins. He's raised from the dead. Well, does your pastor do this? And I say, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, I'd say it different ways so it wouldn't look like I was trying to be a fighter. But I'd always take it back to Jesus. You know, well, what do you think about this? I'd say, well, the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for our sins. And we believe that we're saved. I believe that. Well, how were you baptized? I said, well, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And, you know, I just because I know someone to baptize, you know, there are not people out here like that. But back in where we came from, they got people really fight you about how you was baptized. I wouldn't go for the fight. I know that I heard a preacher say one time, and I used this one a couple times, and it's kind of funny, but it works. A guy was wanting to fight this preacher friend of mine about whose name was he baptized in. He said, I don't know. My head's on the water when the man started talking. <laughs> So I've, so I've used that for a time or two. I said, I just know I was baptized and I don't, not sure what he said. That's what my head was under the water. <laughs> you know, the whole point of what I'm saying is this. At whatever cost, 
don't let disharmony come into your life. Don't let strife come in as still your anointing. You never know, you never know when you're going to get an emergency phone call or come across an emergency situation with friends or family that have a tragedy and that's not the time to be unanointed. Amen. And so anyway, he says, the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore, at that place of unity. And so we need God's anointing at all times, so we want to keep unity. And we've got to stay conscious of the spiritual law of unity and its benefits. Now I want you to look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. Well, that's good. Now I know that's Alex. I'm glad I learned that. I, I learned something every day. Alex is one of my spiritual sons, and I'm proud of him. Alex, you've done good. Amen. Look what you got. <laughs> hey, man, that's good. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25. And this, this, this here is the exact opposite of the law of unity. Matthew 12, 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Now listen, this is so important. As Christians, if you've been a fighter, or if you've been suckered into being a strifer, if you come from a family of strifers, if you come from a family of arguers, listen to this, take heed. Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house, that means family. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Well, that's called the law of division, or I like to say it this way, the law of divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. That's one of Satan's greatest weapons, to divide and conquer. How many uh, weren't born yesterday and you see America right now? It's always been a spiritual law on God's side. Satan has an opposite spiritual law. God's law is, come on, America, you're the United States of America. Unity, United States. This country was pioneered, pioneered by a lot of Christian people, and they called us the United States, not the divided states. The divided states came into this country through division, mainly through the media. Specifically back in the year 2000. They started saying, a nation divided, a nation divided. I still hear those goofy secular broadcasters on TV. A nation divided, blue states, red states, blue states, red states. No, we're the United States. God wants them all to be red states. By that, I mean covered by the blood of Jesus states. That's what he wants us to be. Whenever I see red states, I think covered by the blood, covered by the blood. He wants them to be the United States because Jesus said, every nation divided against itself, shall not stand. Every city, look at the cities of America right now. There's a spirit of division, and it's not from God. Look at homes. When the husband and wife and the family are fighters, it ends up in divorce court. Because that's a destroyed marriage, because Satan comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. 
at division, two of his biggest tools. He wants to get the parents and the teenagers divided. And, you know, I'm not going down this road right now, but yesterday in the, uh, in the men's meeting, I told that word division is also division, two visions. Divided visions. Split up visions. And so when you have a home where the husband has one vision, one goal, and the wife has another, pull two different directions, well, a family divided can't stand. Jesus said so. Same thing in a church. You get a church where you allow division into a church, that's where church splits come from. Two visions. Same thing in anything in the country. You know, I just think about our nation. I can't go down that road. I get I get too upset too quick. I don't watch the news. I pray. And I, I catch headlines and know what's generally going on, but I can't watch it because I see Satan trying to do what he wants to do. I'm going to watch Jesus and preach unity. I'm going to preach unity in the churches, unity among the churches, unity in the families, unity in the homes, unity on the jobs. Christians getting along so we won't be that nation divided, be that United States. And so he said that 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 uh, any of these things divided can't stand. And so that's the exact opposite of the law of unity. So we've always got a guard against division in our home. We've always got a guard against it. You know, I just want to say this again. I was talking about yesterday to the men. This is where my great tape stories come from. If you can't, if you can't talk the right stuff in the home, put the tape over your mouth so you don't talk. You're better off, you're better off to look stupid than open your mouth and prove it. I said you're better off to look stupid than open your mouth and prove it. Because how stupid is it if you're a Christian that's hearing messages like this here to be tempted to have strife and mess everything up and then open your mouth and do that? I call that stupid. It's not ignorant. Ignorant means you didn't know. Stupid means you know and you don't do it. Hey, that's my own definition. I don't know if there's any dictionary or not. But, but anyway, anyway, We've got to always guard against division because the vision gives place to the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Unity gives place to the one to come to give life and that more abundantly. And so you've got to guard against division in the church, on the job, in the family, in your city, in your nation. We've got to guard against that. Unity is going to bring the blessing in your life. And whatever you've got to do at all cost, at all cost, do your part to stay in unity. Number one with Jesus. Number one with your fellow believers. Now look at James chapter 3 verse 16. Is Pam here? Pam's not here. If Pam was here, I'd say that's Whistler's mother. <laughs> Anybody ever hear of Whistler's mother? That's a famous painting. <laughs> my wife's laughing at my jokes. You know why? Because she loves me and she wants to stay in unity. <laughs> I said my wife is laughing at my jokes. And I said, you know why? Because she loves me and she wants to stay in unity. 
Uh, uh, and uh, you know why she can laugh at, at, at an old man's corny jokes? Because she's a little older than she was, but she's real young. But she's not old. Old man jokes. That's called old man jokes. Okay, James 3.16. <clears throat> it says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion at every evil work. Confusion at every evil work when you have envy and strife. And so I think about what the Bible tells us about spiritual laws. And if we want the peace of God in our life, in our homes, in our churches, the Bible just tells us too plainly in too many places we don't have time for envy and strife. There's nothing worth fighting about. I mean, you know, by that, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, we're fighting for our country in a lot of ways right now. Yeah, I mean, we're going to defend it and we have conversations with people. We can talk what's right and what's not right according to the Bible. <clears throat> but we don't get into strife. And, you know, even in our homes, if you can't talk politics in your home without strife coming in, don't talk politics. you got to keep things out. you got to keep it at peace. And so... I just, I'm just wanting again, just admonish us as Christians. We have to know that God said for two to walk together with the blessing of God, they got to be in agreement. So the number one thing, when you know and the people you want to hang out with know that Jesus is the number one most important thing in your life, that your life revolves around Jesus, church, Christian things, Christian functions, then you're going to be in good company to walk together with them and you're going to be able to accomplish great things for God. But the most important thing is you're going to have God's... He said that's that place that He commands the blessing. You're going to have anointing of God on you as there are going to be things trying to attack your house but they won't succeed because the presence of God's going to be there because you're going to be soaked with that anointing just like you talked about in Psalms 133. So unity, the law of unity is a spiritual law from God And God said, where there's unity, there's a blessing of God. And that's what we want. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.